Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Life Church out in nature. Well, we find ourselves in a peculiar place at a peculiar time, don't we? Well, lucky for us, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love that verse. Well, this, friends, is a time to thrive, not a time to hide. So God is doing something unique in this season. So rather than complain about it, why don't we lean into it and experience his best? I, don't, I know it's weird. You know it's weird. But let's lean into this and God will do something. We want God's best. And not someday, but this very day. Uh, the Bible tells us this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it this very day, not someday. Okay, now the phrase of the season, you know as well as I do, is this social distancing. You tired of hearing that? Doesn't matter. I'm calling this, this message social distancing from worry, from worry. We're going to put some distance between us and worry. Now, I want to start by clarifying who this message is for. And so I'm going to ask you a diagnostic question so we can know if this message is for you or for not. So I want you for a moment to think about the major categories of your life your health, especially at a time like this, your family, your job, your physical appearance, your friendships, your finances, all these different areas. Here's the question. How many of you there have at least one problem? <laughs> at least one problem. Anybody? Well, it's probably all of us. Then this message is for you. And I bet down deep, deep, deep inside, you know that your worries and your problems are far bigger than the people around you. I know that to be the case. Well, this actually might be the most worry-filled environment of my lifetime, of our lifetime. All right, the Apostle Paul talks about this truth that we're going to discuss today. He talks about one of the most crippling forces in our world, and that is worry. Think about this. Worry has the power to rob you of joy. You can't be a joyful person when you're in the clutches of worry. Worry makes me obsess about myself. If I'm obsessed with worry, then... I can't connect with other people. It can actually keep me from loving other people. Worry keeps me from taking risks, from going on adventures with God or with others. It can keep me from daring to do what God made me to do. And perhaps, perhaps most tragic of all, worry can erode your trust in God. It can eat away at your faith. Now, Paul makes this extraordinary statement. He says, don't worry. It's like, okay, thanks, Paul. But what's remarkable about this is Paul doesn't simply say, don't worry about the small stuff like gaining five pounds or finding another gray hair. Paul says in the actual test, uh, text in this letter to the Philippians, he says, do not be anxious about anything, anything. Like when you get fired, when you go broke, when you get bad news about a pregnancy, when you feel betrayed by a friend, when your marriage is crumbling, when you lose your health, Paul says, do not be anxious for anything. Now, just in case you're wondering, Paul knew something about problems. Yeah, he wasn't writing this from a suite at the Ritz-Carlton. No, he was writing from a Roman prison. That's a problem. There are people on the outside trying to trash his reputation and destroy his ministry. That's a problem. He didn't know if he was going to survive from one day to the next. That's a problem. And still, he says, don't worry about anything, about anything. So. How is such a life possible? How is that even possible? 
for real people like you and me in a fallen world, how do I do this good social distance from worry? Well, that's what I want to address and I want to do it by looking at three questions, three questions. Okay, now, the first question, number one is, who wrestles with worry? And the quick answer to that would be, everybody does. Everybody has worry problems, everybody who's watching or listening to this message. But some people don't recognize that problem because we have different ways of dealing with worry. Some of you are very, very aware of your problem with worry because it's right on the surface. You have anxious thoughts quite frequently and fairly intensely, and you're highly motivated to get rid of them. Some of you are worriers, and you know you're a worrier. You worry about how much you worry. But then some others don't recognize your problems with worry because some people go into denial. You're often not aware of anxiety, not because it doesn't exist, but because of your aversion to all things that are unpleasant. You prefer denial. Right, other people have a different strategy for dealing with worry. Some of you go into heavy self-reliance mode. You decide that whenever a problem comes along, you're just going to deal with it all by yourself without any help from God or from anybody else. Just he sheer human strength. You're into control. And you decide that you're going to manage every detail and try to steamroll anyone that might cause you anxiety. It's all about control. Um, now as a pastor, we do some uh, weddings here and there, and one pastor I met told of a wedding experience that he had. He said almost every wedding features one person who's struggling with control, and he said it could be anyone, anyone who's known as the mother of the bride. He said in one wedding, the mother of the bride didn't like any of it, didn't like the colors, didn't like the candles, didn't like the bridesmaids' dresses, didn't like the music, and didn't like him. She said she was going to replace him if he couldn't find a decent pair of shoes, and that was his own wedding. <laughs> but some are into control. Some people go into heavy, heavy control mode. But sooner or later, you are going to have to face the fact that ultimately you are not in control. You might be able to manipulate some people or certain events, but the day is coming, friends, when you will discover that you are not really in control at all. Even control freaks are not in control of the coronavirus, trust me. Our world has been upended and we've been freshly reminded that we are not in control. So, who is it that wrestles with worry? Every one of us, whatever our coping style may be. That's part of being a finite person in a broken world. So everybody faces this temptation to worry. Here's the second question. Where does worry come from? Like, where does it come from? That's an interesting question because I think there's a real common illusion out there. And the illusion is this, we think like this. The reason that I worry is because I have these certain problems and if these problems would just go away, then I wouldn't worry anymore. That's the illusion. Well, the good news is your problems are gonna go away. They are. The bad news has to do with when that will take place. On what day will your problems go away? on the day you die. Somehow on the day you die, you'll be amazed at just how smooth your life gets. I mean, you get smoothed over literally. Troubles is not just gonna bother you much anymore. Death has a way of doing that. But in this life, Jesus says, he says, in this life, every day has troubles enough. And it's a strange thing because in this life, problems come and problems go, but the worries remain. And where does that come from? And if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food or drink. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And if you're not getting this, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. But the enemy whispers in your ear, yeah, but what about, or God forgot about you, or how could God let that happen to you? The enemy plants seeds of doubt 
Seeds of worry in your mind. Worry is a tool of the enemy. Worrisome thoughts do not come from God. So that's the first answer, but hang with me for a second. There's an expert in this field named Edward Hallowell, and he talks about an equation. He says worry is a result of two things. One is heightened vulnerability, feeling real vulnerable. The second is diminished power, feeling almost powerless in your situation. And Hallowell says anytime there's this heightened sense that I'm vulnerable right now and a diminished sense that I can control it or handle it, the result is escalating worry. All right, a few years ago when I was a freshman in high school, a guy was giving me a ride home from school and we were in the traffic line leaving the school parking lot. And in that line, uh, the driver in front of us was waving a select finger at us and uh, saying some things to us that I can't repeat in a sermon and still keep my job. Uh, well, the guy that I was with was not very prudent in his judgment and he returned that volley of words and gestures. And it was just then that he realized who it was he was yelling at. It was a big tough guy that was a couple years older than we were. It was a young man who did not flow in God's grace. And this guy chased us in his car all the way home until I got this great idea. I told my friend to pull into the, the pharmacy, uh, the parking lot of the pharmacy, where my brother Jim was working, my big brother. Jim played fullback and defensive end on the varsity football team. And so we pulled it there, I run into the pharmacy, and Jim comes out, and he comes out all grinning, walks up to the guy and says, do we have a problem here? I didn't think so. And that guy just kind of backed down. And I found myself suddenly confident. He's saying, yeah, don't come back. See, Jim and I, we could handle anything together. <laughs> now, Paul is in this situation here, sitting in prison. Maybe he's going to rot there. He doesn't know. Maybe he's going to get executed the next day. There are people outside trying to ruin his reputation, trash his ministry. And he sits there and he writes to the people on the outside and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, how, does, how does Paul do this? It's because he is convinced that there is somebody really, really big sitting right next to him in that prison cell. He's convinced that he's not really vulnerable ultimately at all. Paul says what matters most is to live in the love and the care of God and nothing can threaten that. Nothing. And he says in Romans, he says, what can separate me from the love of God? And then he goes on to list the kind of things that we worry about a lot. Danger, poverty, violence, death itself. And he comes up with this. This is how he summarizes it. He says, no, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. So that's not at stake, he's saying. Beyond that, Paul says, I'm not powerless. A little bit later on, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And therefore, he says, and this is such an amazing thing, you have no reason ever, ever, ever to be anxious. You live in the hand of God, whatever it is that you face. Now, I believe this to be profoundly true. However, in my experience, this information alone is generally not enough to eliminate anxiety. So I want to move to this third question. Talked about three questions. Here's the third one. First, the third one is, what is the antidote? I mean, we know now who worries, who struggles, and where it comes from, but what's the antidote? Well, this is really, really important because as a general rule, you can't free yourself from worry by trying really hard not to worry and just telling yourself to relax or beating yourself up because you can't get yourself to stop worrying. That's just not very effective. Instead, Paul talks about this connection between worry and prayer. What he's saying is, don't worry, pray. And that's the truth for this week. Don't worry, pray. You've got permission to go write that down somewhere where you'll see it all week long. Don't worry, pray. Now, 
Scripture shows this really, really important connection between worry and prayer as well. Peter, the Apostle Peter, puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, cast all your cares on Him, meaning upon God, because God cares for you. So when a care comes your way, an anxious thought, a worried feeling, just fling it to God. Throw it at His feet. Don't worry. Pray. Don't worry. Pray. Okay, now, here's the application of all this. Here's the million-dollar phrase for the day. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. Now, praying doesn't mean that you never feel worried, because the idea is this. Anytime you feel this little twinge of anxiety, or a concern, or a worry, God wants you to take it directly to Him, to Him. And your job is not to make the anxious feelings go away. You can't control that. So don't beat yourself up trying to. Your job is just to take it directly to God. Now, I think there are two really key components of this kind of prayer that enables us to overcome worry. And in the time that's just a few minutes left in this talk, I just want to walk us through them. And this first component is captured in this one little phrase that Paul uses here when he says to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and petition, make your request known to God. It's in that little phrase, in everything, it just doesn't leave anything out at all. The implications of that little phrase are enormous. And one of the biggest barriers to prayer is that we really don't take that phrase seriously. Because here's what often happens to me. In my mind, I've got this constant stream of thoughts. They're not necessarily spiritual. I think about all kinds of stuff. I think about what people are thinking of me or how I look or how I sound or if I'm worried about if I'm going to get this message on worry done in time. Then when I go to pray, I don't actually talk to, those, to God about those things that are really on my mind because they don't sound all that spiritual. So I'll talk to God about the things that sound more spiritual as if the only time God is monitoring my thoughts is when I'm praying. So I'll pray about this pandemic or about the ministry or about a neighbor, something like that. But my mind keeps wandering back to this other stuff that really, really is on my heart. So I have this wandering mind. Any of you out there ever have a wandering mind? Some of you are saying, I'm sorry, what? What would you say? Well, that's what happens to me. And I think there's a solution that's in this little phrase, in everything. And the solution is this. I must pray what is in me, not what I wish was in me. Because what's in me is often self-centered. All of us are. Don't kid yourself. You see this very clearly, very honestly in little kids. You ever heard of a child making a selfish request? Of course, any parent has. All right, just last week we had our grandkids over to the house and we were playing all kinds of games with them. One of them was the game Hot Potato, where you're throwing a ball back and forth between all of you while a timer's going, and when the timer goes off, whoever's holding the ball loses. Well, little Azure was getting the ball off the floor right by the kitchen counter, by the kitchen island there, and when she picked it up and stood up, she hit her head on the bottom of the counter and she started crying. Of course, it hurt her a lot. So we're comforting her. Bonnie's holding her and we're comforting. And, and Bonnie grabs a gummy bear, which these little girls love way too much. And she says, you know, if you hold a gummy bear right on the spot where it hurts, it'll make you feel better. We're grandparents. This is science. Uh, while this is going on, I'm with Lily, who is a year younger. And she has this very forlorn look on her face as she's staring at her older sister. And I said, Lily, are you okay? Are you feeling bad because you're your sister is, is hurt? Are you feeling bad for her? Well, Lily never made eye contact with me. 
she just kept staring at Azure. She kind of glazed over and said, boy, I sure wish I could have that gummy bear. <laughs> That's just pure human nature. And you see it in little kids. Children comes to come to their parents with all kinds of requests. Some requests are wonderful and some are foolish and some are very self-centered. But what matters is that the child comes and that the child comes with whatever it is that's on their heart. Because parents know that if they handle those concerns with care and with wisdom, they can guide the child and the, guy and the, and the child will grow. Now that is in everything kind of prayer. This is the most common kind of prayer that's found in the Bible. And I'll tell you one example I bet you've never heard a message on. Elisha, the prophet, is out walking. And this comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm not going to read it right now, but that's where it is if you want to look it up. He's walking around and a bunch of kids come out and they start to yell at him and mock him. They're calling him Baldy or Chrome Dome or something like that. Apparently he was follically challenged. So how do you think Elisha responds to that? Well, he prays and asks God to send a bear out to chase those kids away. Now that's in everything kind of prayer. You go through the Psalms over and over and over and over again. The psalmist just has these uncensored, unvarnished prayers. So I want to challenge you to make this week an experiment in this kind of simple prayer, in everything kind of prayer. So this week, starting today, pray what is in you, not what you wish was in you. Okay? And then there's the second part of this. And that is, I must be willing to respond in obedience. In obedience. Prayer, friends, is a two-way conversation, and this is especially important when it comes to casting my anxiety upon God. Because here's the key question. God, is there any action that you want me to take regarding this? Sometimes a concern is a prompt for action. A few years ago, I was in bed and I was just falling asleep, and Bonnie pokes me and says to me, did you just hear the dog moaning to go out? And I didn't respond. In my defense, it was hard to hear her, what with all the dog moaning to go out and all. <laughs> but I knew once I acknowledged that concern, that the next step would be to take action and go take the dog out. Well, this is a very, very odd thing for us. Sometimes we'll spend days or weeks or months, even years worrying about something and never even take one positive step to prevent the thing that we're worrying about. As a general rule, that is not God's will. Very often, God will prompt you in prayer and he'll say, I want you to take this action step. I want you to do this. And you need to be ready to say yes. You need to be willing to say yes. Because if your idea of prayer is just that it's some kind of magic thing where all I have to do is say these words before God and it makes anxiety go away without me having to do anything at all or be obedient at all, then you've got the wrong idea about prayer. Prayer is connected to a life of faith and obedience and a willing heart. Now, if we're willing to respond in obedience, Paul makes a tremendous promise that I'm gonna close with today. He says, and the peace of God, remember this is for those with a willing and obedient heart. He says, the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will guard your heart and mind. Does that sound good to you? Do you like that, the peace of God? That's what I want. So, don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. And this week, keep this thought before you, ever before you. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. Say it one more time. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. Okay? Take that with you today. 
God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday. Let me leave you with this. You go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.